Good morning. Welcome to Flat Springs Baptist Church. It's so good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we'd like to say a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we do have visitors cards in the pew if you'd like to take one. Um, you just drop it in the offering plate as it comes by once you've filled it out, and we'd love to just get to know you a little bit better. Uh, just a few announcements uh, for you this morning. Uh, Sunday school materials are in the Sunday school office located directly beside the choir room. Teachers, please make sure to pick up your new materials today before you leave church. Parents, please remember there is a meeting tonight at 5 in the youth room for all children going on the Deep Impact Kids mission trip to Camp Munda Vista. Um, please bring with you the two forms that you need and your final payment of $50 to the meeting. And if you don't have the forms, there's a folder right here. I'll put it over here on the side that you can pick them up. A uh, few prayer concerns to share as well this morning. Uh, Jimmy Gaines is in room 216 at Cape Fear Inpatient Rehab Center in Fayetteville. Uh, so if you would like to visit him, he is in room 216. Uh, Drew Moore will be having surgery this Thursday. Debbie McFarland remains a patient at UNC. And then um, they have called in hospice for Joe Schaub. Um, and so we just want to remember all of these that are on our list and pray for them um, and for the many that are on our list in the bulletin as well that we have not listed this morning would you go to god in prayer with me now heavenly father we're so grateful to be in your house on this beautiful sunday morning god we thank you for the privilege that it is to, to come into your house and to worship you god God, I just pray that you be with all the people that we mentioned that are on our prayer concerns list. God, I just pray that you lift them up and that you be with each one in a very special way. God, I pray that you be with us now and that you help us to focus our minds on you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Continue in worship by turning to number 290 in our hymnal, I Am Thine, O Lord. Let's stand as we sing.
Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come here and worship you today. And Father, I just ask that you be with those that aren't with us. If they're traveling, keep them safe. If they're sickening, give them comfort. And now, Lord, I just ask that you bless these offerings and tithes that we present to you today, that you will use them, bless them, and help them further your kingdom on this earth, in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Moment by moment, number 415.
Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Are you awake? Not really. It doesn't seem like it. Okay. So I have a question for you. This morning, Pastor Gary is going to be talking about someone named Job. Have you ever heard of Job before? No, you have not. Have you ever heard of Job, Camden? Yes. A little bit. Yeah. What do you know about Job? Do you remember anything? No. <laughs> okay. Well, good thing Pastor Gary's preaching on it this morning, so you guys can learn something, right? Okay. So Job was a faithful man of God. He loved God and he served God in everything that he did. He was very faithful to God. And so, because he was faithful, the devil put him to the test. And so he started throwing all these bad things his way, okay? He started doing things to his family, um, his house, different things that were just happening to him that were not fair and that were not good things that were happening. But do you know what Job did? Do you think Job turned away from God and said, God, you know what? All these bad things have been happening, and I just I don't love you anymore. Do you think he did that? No. Why wouldn't he do that? Why do you think he would, he would choose to, to love God still, even when bad things were happening to him? Why do you think he would do that? Okay, well, let me give you this example. How about this? You have friends, right? You guys have friends, and you love your friends, right? If you and your friends get into an argument about something, do you not love them anymore just because you got into an argument? No, you still love them, right? Okay, what about your parents? If your parents get upset with you and they send you to your room because you're grounded for like a couple of hours because you did something wrong, do you not love them anymore just because they grounded you? No. You might be upset with them, right? Yeah, if we're being honest, we might be upset, but we still love them. What about this? What about your brother? What if he takes your favorite toy and he breaks it. Do you not love him anymore because he did that? What do you think? Mm, she had to think about that one. She said, hold on a minute now. Getting kind of personal here. No, you still love him even when bad things happen. And so if bad things happen to us, and sometimes they do, does that mean we shouldn't love God anymore just because something bad happened? No, that's not how love works. We're supposed to love God no matter what happens to us and be faithful to him in the way that we live our lives. That's what happened with Job, and that's the story that Pastor Gary is going to share this morning. So that's what I want you guys to remember this week, okay? If something bad happens, we still love God. It doesn't mean that we turn away from God and we say, you know what, God? I'm done. I don't, I don't love you anymore. That's not how it works, right? Okay? So now you know a little bit about Job, right? So when I say who's Job, you can kind of know who that is, maybe? Yeah? Okay. We'll let you go back to sleep now. All right. You want to say a prayer together? Okay. God, I thank you so much for these children that are here this morning. God, we thank you um, that they have been brought to your house to, to be taught how to worship. God, I just pray that um, you be with them and that you would remind them that even in moments where life is unfair and bad things happen, we can, we can still love you, God. Help us to always remember that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. Whoever teaches false doctrine and doesn't agree with the accurate words of our Lord Jesus Christ and godly teachings is a conceited person. He shows that he doesn't understand anything. Rather, he has an unhealthy desire to argue and quarrel about words. This produces jealousy, rivalry, cursing, suspicion, and conflict, conflict between people whose corrupt minds have been robbed of the truth. They think that a godly life is a way to make a profit. A godly life brings huge profits to people who are content with what they have. We didn't bring anything into the world, and we can't take anything out of it. As long as we have food and clothes, we should be satisfied. Good morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have gathered here again today in your presence. Our prayer, our hope, our desire is that you will do or say or do and say something in this service that will give us clarity in our walk with you, clarity in our responsibility as a citizen and a disciple of the kingdom. That we will understand afresh and anew and maybe even with breakthrough power what it means to be a disciple. We pray, O oh God, that you would speak to us clearly and you would give us bold ears to hear what you say and a willing spirit to receive it, Lord, as these little children who gathered around Taylor's feet, faithful. O oh God, we just pray that you would have a word for us today. Maybe in the songs that have been sung, the choir anthem that's about to be sung, the reading of your word, the looking at a story of dealing with difficult circumstances and tragic situations, that we might leave this place ready to go out into a world that is full of tragedy and be salt and light and be hope and joy in our homes, in our community, and in your world. That's our assignment, O oh Lord. Would you now kick Satan out of this building and out of our hearts and out of our minds and let us say, as Isaiah said, here my Lord, I'm listening. Speak to me. Our prayers in Jesus' name.
How great is our God. Open in your Bibles to the 18th book in the Old Testament, the book of Job. This is an ancient book. During the time of the patriarchs, the way we figure these things out or the best we try to figure these things out are by the language. You'll notice that in this book, more than other books, there's a lot of talk of God and Almighty rather than Lord. The covenant name for God in the Old Testament is translated in most English translations as Lord. It's the word Yahweh, the word Jehovah. But in this word, the word God is Elohim. And the word Almighty, Almighty, these are different derivatives. And there's no mention in this beautiful book of poetry. The first two chapters are prose or narrative, the story. The last half of the last chapter in 42 is a story. And we're going to be in this, in the story for the next three Sundays. And we're going to not go to the poetry because the poetry is from three to 41 and a half. And it's an amazing book. We're going to look today at the tragedy. We're going to look next Sunday at this family spiritual crisis that the tragedy causes. And then we're going to look the third Sunday at how God restores in the midst of tragic situations. And so in this opportunity, we're going to find in this ancient story a dialogue going on in heaven with a council where the sons of God is how it's interpreted in the first part, angels we might would say, and Satan is there, a strange story of this kind of council. We'll find it in chapter 1 and we'll also find it in chapter 2, almost identical the words. And we'll find a conversation between God and Satan. And the result will be the book of Job and the story of Job and the tragedy, the family tragedy that strikes Job. I am so conscious that anytime you preach on tragedy that you're not preaching in a vacuum or in a bubble. You're preaching to people who've experienced tragedy, who may be actively experiencing tragedy who know the struggles of what it is to lose family members, to lose income, to lose things in life. And we all struggle with how to make sense of tragedy. And so today, as we focus upon this reality, I'm going to add 12 verses to our scripture reading. We're going to begin with verse 1, and I'm going to give you that dialogue of uh, the description of Job and then the council in heaven and then our text will actually begin with verse 13 where we will then see the story of the tragedy. If you're able, I would invite you to stand as a way of honoring the reading of this portion of God's holy word. And I begin to read in Job 1 verse 1. And there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless 
and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, I'm going to read that one more time. I want you to see the description of Job. And the purpose of the description is to show us that he doesn't deserve what's fixing to happen, okay? That's what the writer's trying to explain to us. In fact, if you read the, the 39 uh, chapters of the poetry, you'll find when Elahaz and Bildad and Zophar, his friends, come to him and try to explain to him that it must be his fault for these tragic things happening, I want you to hear this word again. Here's the description. His name is Job, a man who was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's what I'd like to fill the church up with, amen? There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. And this is a time when a, a big family is a blessing from God. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He was Bill Gates kind of rich, okay? I want you to understand that. This man had it made financially. And very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house. They threw a party, okay? In the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering according to the number of them all. Just in case they messed up during the party. He would rise up every day and go offer a sacrifice to try to make sure God was okay. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually, steadfastly, faithfully. He did it all the time. And now we go to this strange council in heaven. Now there was a day when the sons of God, some translations call those angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servants Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man. This is God talking. Who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? You think he just does this because he just wants to do it? It says in verse 10, Have you not put a hedge, God, have you not put a hedge around him and around his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. It's your fault, God. You, you have insulated him. He's your pet. You just take too good care of Job, is what Satan says. Verse 11, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him 
do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's a terrible indictment. And the world is fixing to change for Job in an earthly sense to a tragedy. We now read the text. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and he said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them, and they took them, and they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another servant who said, The fire of God, the fire of God, we know it was the fire of Satan. The fire of God fell down from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He just went bankrupt, folks. The stock market just crashed all around him. And then the worst was yet. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. I read this in my office, taking out, just going one right after another. It took me a minute and two seconds to read these four servants' reports. In a minute and two seconds, Job's world was broken. How did he respond? Verse 20. Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. Three physical things, and one spiritual thing. And he worshipped. And he said these most famous Job words, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what a difficult story even today to read. It just makes you feel bad. You can't imagine a good man, a godly man, an upright man, a righteous man, having his world literally fall down for no reason. Lord, give us some understanding of when tragedy strikes us, that we might learn the lesson of Job and really 
the lesson you have for us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a tremendous theological question, and I'll go ahead and play my ace right now, okay? I'll tell you where I want to end this sermon with, what I would hope that we would accomplish if we could rightly answer one question. It's a very simple question. It's a very difficult question. The simple question is, why do you love God? Why do you love God? Not how, not where, not when, why? I think that's a question worth exploring. But I think we spent a lot more time asking ourselves a different why question than that. I think the why question that we get hung up on is, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the question where we seem to park, you and I. That, that seems to be the question, well, it's just a little more personable. And after all, I'm, I'm really thinking about, why do bad things happen to me? Why, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to endure those kind of things? Well, I think we all can remember those days, can't we? Those days when everything that, that could go bad have gone bad. And sometimes we just try to figure out how to say it and try to, to frame it. I, I, there was an article uh, some time ago in a Kentucky newspaper. I thought it was humorous. And the, the writer, and I, this is, I'll just saw the excerpt, and here's, here's the excerpt. I used to think I was poor, and then they told me I wasn't poor, I was needy. And then they told me that that was self-defeating to think of myself as needy, and that I was culturally deprived. And then they told me deprived would create a bad image, and that I was underprivileged. And then they told me that being underprivileged was overused, and that I was disadvantaged. He concludes by saying, I still don't have a dime, but I have a great vocabulary of how to talk about it now. Well, sometimes I think all we do is try to figure out a vocabulary, but not to deal with the tragedy. I think Job's a great teacher. In this primitive story, we, we can begin to, to understand that when tragedy comes, whether it's financially or whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, and, and those days are going to come. I, I remember when I went to a, a conference a few years back as I was training to be a conflict resolutionist for churches. They said every church is in one of three places. They've either been in conflict they're in conflict, or they're going to be in conflict. And so I want to say to us today that all of us have either been in a tragedy or in a tragedy or going to be. It's just a reality of life. As we look at this story, though, Job gives us a will. Let's look just for a moment at the events. Bad things are happening and they just keep happening. I, I guess there's few people in history that have had as bad a day. I, I dare to say there's not many who've has had, had as bad a one minute and two seconds as Job. 
And I would say immediately that it was unfair what happened to Job. Very unfair. But the Bible's full of stories of unfairness. Did you know that? You remember the story of Joseph? You remember that story in Genesis? The story of Joseph, the, the, the guy who had the coat of many colors. You remember that guy? You remember what his brothers did to him? First they were going to kill him. Then they threw him in a pit. Then they dug him out and sold him for slavery. Well, now his life's changed forever. Then the place where he sold into slavery, Potiphar, his wife tries to seduce him, and when he won't be seduced, she claims he raped her. Now they throw him in prison. And Joseph hasn't done anything wrong. Another tremendous story of injustice, of unfairness, is with King David, the man after God's own heart, when he sinned with Bathsheba. And as terrible as that sin was, that sin of adultery, the sin with Uriah. You remember Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? He's away fighting. In fact, that passage began in a time when kings should go to war. David was walking in his palace when he saw Bathsheba and lusted after her. And when he finds out that Bathsheba is now pregnant, you remember, you remember what David did? He called for Uriah to come back from the battle where David should have been. And he thinks, well, if, if Uriah comes back and goes to his house and sleeps with his wife and then finds out she's pregnant, he'll think he's the father. That was before there were paternity tests. It would be okay. My sin would be covered up. It'll be okay. But Uriah had taken what's called a Nazarite vow that he would deny himself of all pleasures while the men were in battle. And so it says that he slept on his doorstep. He wouldn't go into his house. He wouldn't even see his wife. And when David found out that his plan had not worked to cover his sin, he sent an order back to the general by Uriah's hand. He sealed it with his seal, and Uriah was such a man of integrity that he wouldn't open the seal. You know what was in the letter? You remember the, you remember the story? The letter said, when the battle is raging, let everybody know that on a signal you're going to withdraw all the troops, but don't let Uriah know. And in the heat of the battle, when you're sure he has no chance of surviving, give that signal and withdraw all the troops and let them kill Uriah. And his general does exactly what the king told him to do. Unfair. Life can be so unfair. Think of Hosea, who was told by God to marry Gomer, a temple harlot, who left him to return to the prostitution in the temple, and then God told him to bring her back as his wife again. Think of all the babies who were two years of age in Egypt. When the Pharaoh gave the decree that all the children, two and younger, should be killed. Think of all the children, two and under, in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. And Herod gave the exact same decree. Unfair. 
unfair. Think of Lazarus and the story Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. When it says the rich man fared sumptuously every day and Lazarus begged underneath his table looking for crumbs to fall. Unfair. And then look at Job. Unfair. Well, the events, all his wealth that's described to us, all of his blessings that are described to us in those first four verses in a minute and two seconds are gone. What would you do? Man, that's a hard question. That's the event. And look what he does. Look at how he responds physically, emotionally, and then finally spiritually. And we'll talk more about the spiritual aspects next week. If we know we live in an unfair world, if we know we live in a world that it is not to measure our success by stuff, did you hear what I just said? Is there any, could I say anything any less popular in America? Could I say anything any less popular? That you should not measure your life by stuff. I'm just grateful nobody's thrown a hymn book at me so far. Thank you. Because that's what we're taught. But by stuff, by, by enjoyment, by what we can do with the stuff we have, how we can enjoy it leisurely, how we can invest our time Think of how much time the culture calls for us to invest. Every moment we're not working, what should we be doing? We should be playing. We should be enjoying. We should be trying to find out something good to do. We should be blessing ourselves with all of our time. That's what the culture says. Every weekend, every evening, it should be time we spend on our stuff, enjoying our stuff. I've read you all these stories that say stuff doesn't matter. That that's not the measure. Wow. Could that be true? Could that be true? We all know. We all know how quick it can go away. I have many here who are first responders. And they, they could tell you the tragedy when a fire comes and suddenly a person who thought the day was good and thought the day was normal and thought the day was under control and thought everything was wonderful and suddenly a fire broke out and destroyed everything they had physically, their stuff. And you know what they always say? I've heard it a hundred times. If I've heard it once, it's like a death. A fire's like a death. It's like a death. Oh, what a tragedy Job experienced. And it says the first thing he did was he, he tore his robe. He tore his robe. We'll see his three friends do the same thing. I, I want to I applaud them when they first got there for they sit seven days silently. And I just want to give you, this is free, okay? I'm going to throw this in for nothing, okay? When you go to somebody, you ever heard somebody say, I don't know what to say? And then they say stuff. When you don't know what to say, be quiet, okay? Just sit there. For seven days, it says, uh, that Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar 
they just said that when they saw him, he was, oh, I'll read next week about the boils. We haven't gotten to the boils yet. It's not over getting bad yet. He scraped himself with pottery so bad. He was so disfigured. When they saw him, they didn't even recognize him. And they tore their robes and they sat for seven days and no one spoke. He tore his robe to show that all that he had was gone. Even the very cover of his body was broken. He had nothing. He had lost his wealth. He had lost all that he had worked so all his life for. Nothing wrong with working for stuff. We're invited by God. In fact, we're encouraged to grieve. It's an important part of any process when bad things happen. I don't want you to hear me say, go out and say, oh, well, that's wonderful. That's not wonderful. It's not wonderful. But friends, if we have so invested ourselves in our stuff that it robs us of even our relationship with God, and I've seen that happen, haven't you? I've had people say, because this happened to me, I've given up on God. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't trust God anymore. I'm done with God. That's a person that's got too much invested in their stuff. That's a person that's got too much invested in this world that, by the way, is temporary at best. He tore his robe, and then... That outward, that outward expression of that inward pain. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a, a wreath or a cross by the side of the road? There's, there's one, I think it's three crosses actually. It's on the, the, the median, if I remember correctly, on 421 between Greensboro and Siler City. Why do you think that wreath's out there? You know, don't you? We know, don't we? You know what that means, don't you? You, you understand that at that place, or pretty close, in that proximity, maybe within 50, 100 yards, people died. They say that the average accident from beginning to end takes about six seconds. Six seconds. And in that, someone lost their life. I read a story about that tragic moment. And, and this writer did such a magnificent job of, of sharing how when the person put the wreath there. And maybe in this imaginary story they tell, maybe they saw someone coming by, swerving all over the road, and then threw a beer can out, and it landed at their feet. And they asked the question, why? Why can this person get away with this? It's a real question one of those tragic things that gosh they break us and yet we understand that in that moment 
that in six seconds life can be changed forever. In a minute and two seconds life can be changed forever. In the book of Job we find that minute and two seconds and then we're going to find the next 39 chapters of Job trying to get over it. Of Job trying to figure it out. Of Job trying to move to recovery. Of Job trying to get whole again. Of Job trying to make sense of something that never ever is going to make sense in his world. That's a tragedy. But it's a struggle worth struggling. He shaves his head, he says. And that was a symbol of his glory. The hair of a man was his glory. And to shave your hair was to say that I no longer have any glory. That this tragedy has so robbed me that my glory is gone. I want you to see that Job was broken. He makes this beautiful pronouncement in in verse 21. But I want you to understand, he makes this pronouncement about naked I came and naked I'll leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the night. He says that through tears. His heart is breaking. His world is destroyed. And out of his pain, he confesses his faith. It's a powerful moment when we understand it. Tim McGraw, a few years ago, wrote a song. You may, if you're a country music fan, I'm not. Love me anyway. But I found these lyrics when I was reading and someone referred to it. The title of the song was Live Like You're Dying. And the first part of the lyrics go like this. And I'm not going to try to read them. And I'm just going to read them, okay? If you say, oh, preacher, you killed them. I'm just reading you what they said. I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me. At a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at x-rays, talking about options, and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end, how it hits you when you get that kind of news. Man, what do you do? And then the song goes on, uh, about he goes skydiving and rock climbing and he rides a bull named Fu Manchu, I think is how you say that, for 2.7 seconds, he says. But here's the words I want you to hear that I think capture what Job explained and what when we face tragedy, we need to do. He says... I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you're dying. Changes things, doesn't it? If we were to honestly understand the realities that tragedies are not optional for some people, but they're reality for all of us then it could change us. Live like you're dying. Because we are. You and I. We are. 
Let's look for just a moment. We'll spend more time next week looking at the spiritual response. You remember the question that I started with? Why do you love God? Why? Why do you love God? You know why I think some of us do? For what God can do for us. We live in a cause and effect world, don't we? I'll scratch your back if what? You'll scratch mine. Is that the way we love God? It, it makes sense in our culture. Do me wrong once, shame on you. Do me wrong twice, you know it, right? Shame on me. There's no grace. It's what, it's what you do for me that I'll do for you. If you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you help me, I'll help you. And what's the inference to all that? If you're not good to me, guess what? <laughs> I won't be good to you. If you don't help me, guess what? I won't help you. That's our world. Why do we love God? Many of us have a what have you done for me lately kind of idea about God. It seems to be that this ancient story is challenging us to look at exactly this question. Why do you love God? Did you hear what Satan said to God? You think Job loves you because of you? You're an idiot, God. He doesn't love you. All he loves is what you can do for him. Friends, if that's our attitude about God, I'm not sure we're saved, you and I. It's easy to focus on our stuff. It's easy to focus on our family. It's easy to focus on people relationships. It's a challenge to focus on God. It's a challenge to focus on God. Listen to me. It's a challenge to focus on God. Here's what I want to promise you based on God's holy word. If we focus on God, it changes all our stuff. It changes our family. It changes our relationship with people. You don't believe me? I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. You believe Jesus? Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Amen. That's what Jesus said. What did he say? Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had his focus right. When you've got your focus right, you can face the challenges. Now listen, you may be here today and you say, Gary, you don't understand the tragedy that I'm dealing with. And I'm just going to say amen. I know I don't. But I'm going to tell you a truth that is not from me, but it's from God's holy word. When your focus is right, you'll face tragedy different. 
That's just true. That's just true. And I want to challenge us all to understand that truth. When tragedy strikes, what do we do? That's the time. Listen. Listen to me. When tragedy strikes, you with me? When tragedy, when tragedy strikes, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. When tragedy strikes, the way we love God will be revealed. That's true. That's so true. When it's hard, when we're in the foxholes of life, for those of you who know that lingo, when we're in the difficult places, when our backs are against the wall, when the diagnosis is terrible, when the telephone rings and we don't want to answer it, when the news is bad, that's when it reveals how we love God. And as I bring this sermon to a conclusion, I want to talk about one more person who understands life's unfair, who understands the focus is not about stuff, who rent his robe and spiritually shaved his head and said, naked I came into this world and naked I leave it. And he literally did. Leave it naked. Literally did leave it naked. And I'm speaking of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Who for your sin and my sin took the blows in Pilate's courtyard. Wore the thorn of crowns for my sins. And to help me face my tragedies, he became the greatest tragedy in all of history. And he walked out carrying his own cross. And they stripped him naked at the foot of that cross to humiliate him one more time and one more way. And they nailed him to the cross and they hung him there till he died. And his last words were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's how you face a tragedy. That sounds like Job to me. Or maybe better said, Job sounds like Jesus to me. Facing tragedy. Today's the day. How will you answer that question? Why do we love God? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in this moment, I know that when we preach a sermon like this, it stirs stuff up. And I, I apologize for that, God. I am not a stirrer. But, oh, Lord, you're saying this is a moment where Job could become an example and Jesus could become a model for how we're to live our life and how we're to face tragedy. 
And Lord, I pray that we stay tragedy-free. I hate tragedy. I can't stand them. They, they frighten me. They disturb me. They, they, they disturb my peace for a while. They, they challenge me on every level, God. I don't like them. But Lord, still they come. And I am so grateful that you've given us prescription of how to face them. Of spiritually, if we answer that question, Lord, do I have you as my focus? Am I seeking you? Am I really seeking you? Or am I seeking everything else and then trying to seek you with what's left over? Oh, Lord, that's a failure. That won't work. But if we'll seek you first, it'll work. <laughs> Blessed be your holy name, O oh God. Help us to examine ourselves and make whatever adjustments we need to make to love you like we're dying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of decision is 178. I don't know what God may be saying to us individually. What a challenging life Job had to live. What a challenging message he gives. But what a wonderful example God gives us in how to face a family tragedy. Would we respond as we stand together and say, I know you'll remember those that are on our prayer list. Pray that you have a good week. Continue to pray for those that are still out and about traveling and enjoying uh, this cool weather that we're experiencing. Amen. I'm looking forward to Tuesday. I hear it's supposed to cool down a little bit.
And now as we leave this place, may we do so in God's peace and in His power and in His abiding presence as His people who seek Him first in the midst of all His people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you equip us with our faith to face life this week and the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.